Once again, it's our privilege to hear God's word. So I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 8 and verse 9. And uh, I had planned to preach only through verse 12, but actually I'm going to preach through the end of the chapter. So uh, let's look at verses 9 through 18. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our, to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites uh, calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, and to send portions, and to make great rejoicing, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people, with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, and that they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild uh, olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booze as it is written. So the people went out and brought them and made booze for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of the house of God, and in the square at the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booze and lived in the booze for, uh, for from the days of Jeshua, the son of Nun, to the day the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the seventh days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, we're so thankful for your word. Uh, as we have read last week, the people stood for hours, possibly six hours or more, as the word of God was read, as it was explained, as it was applied, uh, Lord, this morning we pray, uh, we have your word much more readily available, but God, we're just in as much need to hear. So let us be attentive as the people were. Lord, do the work in our hearts that you did in their hearts. Uh, Father, we pray in your name. Amen. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, this is one of my favorite verses, one of my favorite lines in, in all of Scripture. Um, and, and I know that 
uh, there are many times in our lives where we're not rejoicing, where it's times of mourning or weeping or confession or repentance of sin. But even in these times of mourning and repentance and so on and so forth, we are pointed to the great gospel truths that are ours in Jesus Christ. We who were born sinners and at once at loggerheads with God, sort of clashing heads with God, we wanted to be God. He has brought us into fellowship with Him, and this causes us great joy, brothers and sisters. If it does not, it ought to. You see, our primary purpose in life, as the Westminster Shorter Catechism reminds us, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And that enjoyment starts right now. It's in this life. It's not something that's just futuristic. It's not something that, yeah, well, we just try to make it through this world the best we can. And someday, maybe, you know, when we get to heaven, then we can enjoy the Lord. It's not like that at all. The joy of the Lord is your strength right here and right now. The problem is, there's plenty of times in the Christian life where joy seems to be far, far, far away. Maybe you're going through uh, one of those times right now. Maybe this morning is, is not a time of great rejoicing for you. Uh, sometimes those times that test our joy can be quite lengthy, sometimes even lasting days or months or even years uh, for the Christian. And, of course, we can have a lack of joy uh, for many reasons. One, if you have allowed sin to get a foothold in your life, then that would hinder your fellowship with God and may steal your joy. But it may be that you are faithfully walking with the Lord and you are struggling with joy. But because maybe you're going through trials and difficult circumstances. I know there's many in our congregation that have health issues that they're wrestling with. These are daily uh, things that they have to live with. Or maybe you're encountering difficulty at work or, or maybe uh, things going on in your home. There are many things in life that may seek to steal your joy. And part of you wonders, if the joy of the Lord is my strength, then where is my joy? How do I find this joy? especially in the midst of the trials or, or the sin that has hindered your relationship with God. And Nehemiah teaches us how the joy of the Lord belongs to us. We are called to rejoice in the Lord. We're going to look at four reasons that we are to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, and the first I want us to see, the first reason to rejoice is that you are God's people. You are God's people. Uh, look at verses 9 through 11. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. Now, 
three times in this verse, Nehemiah states that this first day of the seventh month is holy to God. And, and the reason for that is, is because it's the start of a series of festivals in the Jewish calendar. Uh, festivals that remind the people of who God is, what he has done for his people, and who they are. You see, the people were mourning and weeping because they had just heard the word of God and had cut them to the quick. Now, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, we have so many copies of the word of God. I think I shared with you last week that I have over 90 uh, different translations of the Bible on my computer Bible program alone. Uh, and yet, for these people, the Word of God would not have been readily available. So to have an extended amount of time where they could stand and they could listen to the Word of God being read would be like oil being poured upon their soul. And, and as they heard the Word of God, uh, they were weeping because it cut them to the quick. Sort of reminds you of Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Peter is preaching to the people on the day of Pentecost. And this is what we read in Acts 2, 37. And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brother, what shall we do? They go on to say, what must we do to be saved? And so Ezra has been reading the word of God. But in many ways, the word of God, I guess you could say, was reading the people. The Holy Spirit was using the word of God to convict God's people of their sin. Now, this raises some good questions for us this morning. How do you respond to the word of God? When you hear it preached, when you read it in your personal worship time, maybe your family worship, maybe as you're listening to it on the radio or on some podcast or something, how do you respond to the word of God? Do you know anything of this kind of conviction over your sin? Have you ex ever experienced the scriptures searching and exposing work, rendering you almost uh, naked in one sense before God? You just feel like your life is being laid bare, that God is looking into your soul and he's seeing you for who you are. Does the word search deep into your heart? exposing not only what you do and don't do, but also even the motives of, of your heart, even showing you who and what you really love. Once the word enlightens our hearts, do we hear it and heed it? Does it bring change to our lives? Are we like the people of God in the fall of 444 BC uh, to not only hear the word, but to be pierced by it and moved by it? There's no true experience of grace without this unmasking of our sin by the Holy Spirit. And he uses the word of God primarily to do that. Well, as we progress through the book of Nehemiah, we'll see that there's really truly a need for the people to repent as we look at the, the chapters ahead. But on this particular day, it was a holy day that God had set aside to remind the people who God is and what he had done for them. It's much like we would celebrate today the Christian Sabbath, to have a day that's set aside 
where we could just focus on who God is and what he has done. We could worship him and we could praise him. I, I have to say I'm amazed how popular it has become for Christians to seek to explain away the Sabbath day. It almost seems like it's a badge of courage if I could throw off the Sabbath day and to say that no longer applies to us as the church. When the Lord has given us this glorious day that we might set aside all the cares of life, we might set aside our work and, and going to the grocery store and all the things that just sort of clutter up our lives in some ways and just have an, a dedicated time to worship and to praise Him and to reflect on who He is and what He has done for us. You see, holiness and joy are inseparably related to one another. One of the things that characterizes the kingdom of God is joy. Uh, Paul, in writing to the Romans, Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You see, as we live as citizens of God's kingdom and God rules over our lives, joy is the outcome for the believer. But often we fail to experience joy because maybe our understanding of joy is, is unbiblical. And, and I would encourage you to go back, I think it was on October 8th, I think, when Noah, actually in Sunday school, taught on joy. Go back and listen to that class if, if you want to, to see what the Bible teaches about joy. But for us, oftentimes our joy is tied to our circumstances, which means that our joy can be very fickle because our circumstances are, are constantly changing. It also means that a significant portion of our lives will be joyless due to the trials and the difficulties of living in a fallen world. But our Father has more for us. He wants us to know a joy that's not tied to circumstances, but that's rooted in Him. That's rooted in Him and what He has done. If we are to have joy, we must grasp the truth that the fruit of joy is not rooted in circumstances, but in God's goodness and ultimately in God Himself. So why the Feast of Trumpets? Why is that to be a, a holy day, a day of joy? Well, ten days after the, this uh, festival was to be the Day of Atonement, and then the Feast of Booths, uh, and, and then ending the month with a sacred assembly. And all of these different feasts, all of these different times that were set aside pointed to the reality that the Jews were the blood-bought people of God that they were his people. And as the people celebrated each feast, they would be reminded over and over and over again for the entire month that God had redeemed them and they were his people. And these feasts not only pointed back to what God has done, but it also pointed ahead to what God would do. Because even they knew that while there was the Day of Atonement, that that day had to come every year. It did not take away their sins once and for all. And so it pointed to the coming Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would come and would die on the cross to take away their sins once and for all. And of course, the Feast of Booths uh, spoke of God delivering his people from Egypt, that he had uh, redeemed them and brought them out of the land of Egypt. 
and uh, deliver them to the promised land. Of course, the Day of Atonement, you not only have the sacrifice for the sins of the people, but you also have the scapegoat that would be sent out into the wilderness to signify how God removes the sins of his people as far as the east is from the west, never to return. And so the Jews would have been reminded that they were the people of God to whom the promises of God had been made. And by grace, brothers and sisters, hear this, by grace, they had the right to look forward to the fulfillment of these promises. Now think about that. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fulfillment of the promises that God has given to you? That you believe by faith, but one day you know that you will see by sight? That is reason for joy and for celebration as we think about not only what God has done, but what he has promised to do. You see, joy is ours as we know that we are the people of God in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this this morning, brothers and sisters, where are you looking for your joy? When joy seems to elude you, where do you look for it? Because we're oftentimes we are. We're trying to, to have some sense of joy in the midst of the trials and the difficulties of life. And it may be that you throw yourself into your work thinking you'll feel some sense of fulfillment or some sense of joy there. Or maybe your families or hobbies or, or maybe even in serving in the church. And there, there's many other things. And these things are not bad in and of themselves, but when we seek to get joy from them, we're taking good things and we're making them ultimate things. In other words, we're seeking to make an idol out of them to somehow uh, have a heart of rejoicing and joy. But instead, we need to understand that our hearts will be restless until they rest in Him, right? As Augustine said, our hearts will be restless until they rest in Him. And so let us rejoice, brothers and sisters, knowing that you belong to God, that you are His children. The second thing I want us to see is that we need to rejoice because you have heard and understood the word of God. Look at verse 12. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to, to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. The reason they rejoice is that they've heard the word of God. And this is what it means to live in covenant relationship with God. If you recall back in... Uh, the uh, prophet Ezekiel, the people had sinned against the Lord and God had prophesied his judgment and that he would withdraw his glory. And, and so in a very visible manifestation of the glory of God, you see his glory leaving the temple. It, it, it goes out, sort of does it slowly, sort of goes from the temple to the threshold of the courts and then into the hills and then it departs. And then, from then, the people of God are taken into exile into Babylon, eventually. And it would seem that the Jews in Nehemiah's day are a people without the presence of God. They return to Jerusalem, and they've rebuilt the temple, they've rebuilt the city walls, but the glorious presence of God did not descend upon the temple like it did in, in the, the time of the wandering in the wilderness, 
or even in Ezekiel's day. So it would only be natural for the people of God to wonder, how can we rejoice if God's presence is not with us? Are they truly the people of God or are they not? And the leaders are wanting to remind them that they are. They are because God has spoken to them through his word. He has brought his word to them. They are living in covenant relationship with God through the written word of God. It is through his word that they have come to understand what God wants and they obey it. We see that not only in verse 12, but even in verses 13 through 18 as well. It is through his word that they have come to understand what God wants and they do it. Brothers and sisters, do you draw your joy from the fact that you know God? That God has given you his word, that his spirit has quickened your heart and shown you the truth to not only have the physical book of the Bible in your hands, but to read it and to understand and to have a heart that has been changed and to be in covenant relationship with God. Now, it's interesting because life is fickle and you could lose your job, you could lose all your money, you could lose your family, you could you lose your reputation. Really, there's very little in life that we have that we're guaranteed of, but one thing you will never lose is God himself or lose being in covenant relationship with him if you are his child because God takes a hold of you. It's not vice versa. It's not because somehow we have taken a hold of God, but he has chosen us. And so God holds you fast and he continues to bring his word to you. Do you rejoice in that? But do you rejoice and let that joy flow out to others? If you look at verse 12, we see that the people were blessed uh, and they rejoiced and they had the joy of the Lord and they also then blessed others as well. And is that, is that true of you? Uh, how, do you share the gospel with others? Are you hospitable? Do you invite people into your home and into your lives? That's, that's a big deal these days. People aren't usually that open to, to invite those from outside their home to come and to enjoy the blessing of their home with them. Uh, do you share the things of God that God has given you with those around you? Rejoice and be willing to bless others. The re third reason to rejoice is because we are redeemed. Look at verses uh, 13 through 18. And what we have here is the Feast of Trumpets and, and the people returning to their homes. And then on the second day of the month, the heads of the households come back to Ezra to study the law of God some more. And they discover that they are to keep the Feast of Booths and so they do that. They hear and they obey. It's just that simple. And when God's word reminds us of our neglected duties, how do we respond? Are we like the children of Israel that we hear God's word, we're convicted, and we repent of that sin, and we turn and we obey God? Or instead, do we seek to squelch the conviction that we feel that the Holy Spirit is giving us 
so that we might continue to do the things that we want. But this is what the people of God do. They, they not only are hearers of the word, but they are doers as well. And as we mentioned earlier, the significance of the Feast of Booze is that the Feast of Booze is a visible representation of God's redeeming work, of how he brought his people. He redeemed them out of Egypt and he brought them into the promised land. And they are reminded in this celebration of the Exodus how God brought the people uh, to himself. They're reminded that they have been redeemed. And so while they had to maybe rough it for a little while to live in these makeshift uh, shacks, uh, to, um, it was a feast of great rejoicing because it recalled what God had done in redeeming them. Look over, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 16, uh, verse 13. Uh, Deuteronomy 16, verse 13. Where we read about the Feast of Booths, it says, You shall keep the Feast of Booths seven days, and when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press, you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands so that you will be altogether joyful. It was to be a joyful celebration. It's much like the Lord's Supper is for us as Christians. As we come to the table, yes, it is a solemn occasion, just like I, I prayed in the prayer of confession, to think that Christ had to become human, that he had to suffer and to die on the cross for our sin is a very sobering and humbling reality that in one sense causes us to pain to think that he would do that, but it also is overwhelming that he would show his love in that way. And so we come to the Lord's Supper, yes, with humility, yes, with a soberness, but also with a sense of rejoicing and praising God that he has so loved us as, your, as his people. I think it's interesting um, that in John 17, 13, Jesus is on his way to the cross, right? And this is what he has to say in John 17, 13. But now I am coming to you. He's, he's, Jesus is praying to the Father. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. As Christ is coming to the cross, he's coming to the cross that we may have joy. And we may be rejoiced at the work of redemption that he has done for us. You see, for the Israelites, that was a future event that had not happened yet. But for us, we look back at the reality of what Christ has done. So brothers and sisters, let us rejoice that we are redeemed in the blood of the Lamb. But you might ask, and kids, you may feel this way sometimes too. You might say, well, Pastor Rick, but how can I rejoice when I can't see God, when I can't see these things? Well, Peter, uh, he wrestled with that question in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 18. And he said, 
Though you have not seen him, that is Jesus, you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. The, the way that uh, we rejoice in Christ, although we don't see him, is by faith. As we know his promises are true, by faith we believe in the Christ that is presented to us in the gospel. By faith we believe in Christ who is presented to us in the Lord's Supper. By faith we believe in Christ who dwells in our hearts by faith, by his Holy Spirit. And as you do so, you rejoice. Even though now you don't see him, but one day that faith will give way to sight. And won't that be a glorious day when we see him and we can rejoice face to face? Well, the fourth reason we rejoice is because we are a pilgrim people. In verses 13 through 18, where it talks about the Feast of Booths, uh, yes, it is a reminder of God's redemption of his people, uh, but it's also a reminder of the reality that the people of God are a pilgrim people. They were reminded how they journeyed with God through the wilderness to the promised land. But their inheritance, we oftentimes think, is the land. And, and even in our language today, as we were reading the scriptures, there, is, there was sort of that sense in the Old Testament reading that that inheritance was uh, the land, but the inheritance was more than that. Uh, God himself was their inheritance. So why were they going to the promised land? They were going to the promised land that they might dwell with God. And likewise, as the Jews returned from exile to Jerusalem, why does God bring his people back in Ezra, in Nehemiah? Why does God have them rebuild the temple and the wall that they might dwell with God and be his people? Brothers and sisters, the only way we can dwell with God is through the one who came to tabernacle or to dwell with us. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 14 says, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Do we see ourselves in that way that we are waiting to seek another place to live? Do we live as pilgrim people looking for a better place to dwell with God through Jesus Christ? Maybe one of the reasons we lack joy oftentimes as Christians is because we do not live much like pilgrim people. Instead, we are living in this world as if this were our home, at least for the time being. We know that we'll only be here 70, 80, 90, maybe 100 years. But as we live here, do we feel way too comfortable to think we are home here on this earth? And so, therefore, when we do that, do we seek our joy in the things of this life? Or do we seek our joy in the things of the life to come? The life where we will dwell with God for all eternity and have unending fellowship with the triune God. Brothers and sisters, we have been created. We have been saved uh, for a new heaven and a new earth. We have been saved for fellowship with God 
in eternity. And that is the basis of our joy. We may be passing through times of difficulties and trials even now. You may be struggling or you may be plagued with by sin that so easily trips you up. But you need to understand that we are journeying into a place where all trouble and all sorrow and all sin will be no more. We are on our way to the heavenly city where we will be perfectly glorified and free from indwelling sin. Listen to the words of Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35, 10. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, when is that promise going to be fulfilled for us as his children? Well, it's when we close our eyes in death and we find ourselves in the new heaven and the new earth. Brothers and sisters, you are a pilgrim people. Rejoice in that, that this place is not your home. Your home is not here. You are on your way to the glories that belong to you in Christ Jesus. So where do you find your joy? Well, the world says, find it in the things of this life. Or I would say even more so, I think more accurately nowadays, the world would say, find your joy within yourself, within your identity within who you think you are. But God says, find your joy in me. Find your joy in God and living in fellowship with him. Brothers and sisters, as we close this morning, I just want to remind you that you can rejoice because you are the people of God. You have come to know him through his word. You are redeemed and you are a pilgrim people heading to a better place. Never forget the joy of the Lord is your strength and no one can take that from you. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and reflect upon God's word. sometimes say that uh, we as your people do not have joy because we're Presbyterians and we're the frozen chosen and so that just sort of insinuates there's a sense of joylessness but that's not true that is so not true 
Lord, as we see the saints who have gone before us and see the great love that they had for you and the joy that they have as your people who have your word, who have been redeemed and are looking for the time when they will be with you face to face. Oh Lord, may we be such people. God, may you work in our hearts to uh, cause us to rejoice in you, to delight in who you are. Oh Father, cause us to love you more, to reflect more carefully and deeply upon the, the promises and the realities that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that we might be like the Jews, that we would share these glorious things with those around us. That, Father, we would be your witness and your testimony to others, that you might add to the number of those in this local body who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there would be those who would come to faith and to believe in you. Oh, we thank you, O God, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.